and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Okay. Uh, About what? I'm going to tell you why. Well, something that uh, at this point, I get excited about this every year, but I used to not. Ah, yes, yes. You and I, you started a thing. You and some of our friends Mm -hmm. started a thing because you're like, you saw everybody, especially around this time of year, Mm -hmm. having fun with fantasy football. Yes. Rotisserie baseball is the it's fantasy baseball, but it okay. used to be. I feel like it used to be called the rotisserie, rotisserie leagues. Okay. Anyway, and you said I'm a movie guy. How come I like I can get in on that? And so you created this thing called the fantasy award season. No, no, sorry, it's not called that. You call it fantasy Oscars. That's yeah. misleading. And so I call it fantasy award season. Yes, um, because you don't call you don't call it like fantasy Super Bowl. Right. Like it's fantasy football. So right. fantasy award season, and. Um, uh, we're about to kick off our, uh, well, in, in, in a October. few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. But here, so, and I've often said like, Oh, the listeners don't care whenever you bring this up. Yes. Um, you did say that a lot. Uh, yeah. And um, now here we are. And I continue to say it after, but here's what's different this year. I'm saying okay. this on mic so that we have to commit to it. Oh, you okay. and I have talked uh, as well as Scott and I have talked for years now about making the rules and the sort of, documentation like spreadsheets and stuff you need mm-hmm. to that we use for the league available yeah. on the website so the listeners can start their own leagues yeah and that will be happening I'm for thinking, a nominal fee no <laughs> that's the joke it's gonna be uh, free it's gonna be free but it's hopefully gonna you know drive some traffic to the website exactly um so uh we're looking at by by october 1st i think is when we're gonna have uh, it is currently, as of this recording, it is September 14th. So, um, in, in you know, we usually do the draft sometime in October. So uh, It's exactly can, a month away, I believe, the 14th of October. That's our doing draft, it. yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to give everybody a heads up that something we've talked about for years is something that you can actually start your own leagues. There'll, there'll be, um, you know, there'll be a, a page on the website. I'm assuming there'll be a comment section then. Sure. If there's a, if there's a post so you can... Uh, share your fun experiences, and I want to want to make this more. I want I want to take this thing that you created, and I want to put it out into the world. Well, I didn't create it by myself. It was mostly right. me, Scott, in front of the show, Jason Eakin. Right, um, and then uh, also old friend of the show Adam Rebitaro was there weighing in and then we just made fun of him the whole time because that's just how Adam is okay so I wanted to say that on the podcast so that we have to actually have to commit to doing it because right. you and I and Scott have literally talked about putting this on the website for like two years at this point and we're finally getting it done yes um, basically because little peek behind the curtain we had some gaffes in putting together the league this year and yeah. so we were like let's make a formal rules document yeah. so we did that and we were like oh now we have what we have what we needed in place to let the listeners in on the fun there's nothing like personal frustration to really kick somebody in the ass to do something yeah after several years so uh, yeah, there'll be a, a, a new uh, probably uh, a tab or a link somewhere on the website that uh, I hope will say fantasy award season. That's not up to me. Uh, Tyler can call it whatever he wants. <laughs> um, but it might uh, just be a lot of words for one tab. I'll say that. Okay. I'll see if I can come up with something. All right. Um, in the meantime, uh, while we're waiting for all those clicks to flow in, sure. Let's pay some bills. Okay. So David and listener. 
and guest, but we haven't said your name yet. This episode is brought to you, you the guest, uh, by Movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Movie's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Okay. So currently available on Mubi, they are uh, featuring a couple of movies, and I, I think there will be more coming, but as of right now, there's a couple of classic John Carpenter films uh, from the 80s. Uh, there's Escape from New York, starring Kurt Russell, and The Fog, featuring, among others, Jamie Lee Curtis, the delightful John Hausman, Hal Holbrook, and Janet Leigh. Um, David, have you seen either of those films? I've seen Escape from New York. I've you haven't seen, seen The Fog? fog. No. Uh, the fog is kind of. I'm. I'm glad the movie is featuring it because the fog is. It was. It was what John Carpenter did after Halloween, and it seemed like such an odd decision, but also kind of marvelous because it's a different type of horror. It's very old school uh, ghost story, you know. Oh, okay. In which the fog rolls in, and uh, and with it comes like these ghost pirates and stuff who, oh, who okay. uh, take revenge so it's on... So not full of monsters like The Mist. Right, yes. This is a different thing. And tonally it feels different. It's one of those... I, I find this is something that happens with a, a lot of horror people or just genre filmmakers is that after a while they will make at least one movie that is kind of a throwback to a more innocent time in filmmaking. <laughs> and so The Fog feels like that to me and I enjoy it quite a bit. I also like Escape from New York, but I really wanted to talk about The Fog. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, so those two movies and possibly more uh, from John Carpenter will be available at Mubi. And there's also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or you can go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the ad uh, for Mubi on the left-hand side. Yeah, let's yeah do that one instead. You should do that one. Uh, and I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great, more importantly. And uh, most importantly, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. So if you want to be cool like me and Tyler, get yourself some TweakedAudio.com earbuds. Uh, they're available at a low, low, low price over at tweakedaudio.com, which you can also get get to <laughs> using a link uh, on the battleshippretension.com website. Uh, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So, uh, again, if you want to be cool like me and Tyler, mm-hmm. go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension at checkout. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, are you ready? Sure. 
<laughs> okay. Um, we're uh, we're going to bring in uh, uh, our guest, someone that I've been meaning to have on the podcast for years, like just like talking about the, this is something that happens in Battleship Redemption. This is how we've been around 10 years yeah. is because it takes us two or three years to yeah. get to the shit we say we're going to do. <laughs> um, so someone I've been meaning to have on the podcast for years because it's someone I always look forward to uh, hanging out with at all the local festivals, be it LA Film Fest, Sundance Next Fest, AFI Fest. I think I saw you at AFI Fest this past mm-hmm. year. Uh, I was actually just thinking about that. I'll tell that story in a second. Actually, I'm going to tell that story now before I bring you in. Okay. Um, <laughs> because I, I told my wife, I was like, oh yeah, uh, so-and-so's going to be on the show. And she was like, have I met him? And I was like, we ran into him at AFI Fest, coming up the stairs from the parking garage. And I said, are you here for AFI Fest? And you said, no, I'm here to shop at Hollywood and Highland. <laughs> and it made me laugh really hard. Really hard. Um, and uh, she still didn't remember you. I had but, to stop uh, in Sephora. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a funny story. Um, so uh, he's written for IndieWire and RogerEbert.com and uh, currently the uh, Visual Creators Project. Did I get that right? Creators Project, yeah. Creators, okay. Uh, Charlie Schmidlin. Schmidlin, sorry. Yeah, Schmidlin. I know it's awful. It's a horrible. Name I just to realized say. that I've never said it out loud. Like I've known you for years, and I don't think I've ever said it out loud. I'm, I'm used. To, I'm used to it, so it's completely, completely <laughs> fine. Even, even when they've actually been uh, listed on credits, I've written my name down. It's, yeah. it's been misspelled in, in whatever document comes up. Yeah. So it's fine. Um, yeah, but, but I guess it's. Uh, I knew. I know how to spell it. I just apparently didn't. I thought I knew how to pronounce it. Uh, it just didn't come out right. I just want to make it clear. Schmidlin? Schmidlin, yeah. Schmidlin. All right. Seems yeah. simple enough, David. Um, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. I guess you got to go from like zero to Schmidlin, I guess, is the thing. <laughs> is I had to do it like on the move. Which, by the way, there's. If you are looking for. A title for your autobiography, Zero to Schmidlin, is it? Someone, someone recommended Schmidler on the Roof. That's pretty good. Um, That's pretty good. There's that. Uh, you should say your your Twitter hand Twitter handle. Oh, Schmidlinks uh, at Schmidlinks on Twitter.com. Um, it was <laughs> speaking of one of the things that taught me not to read comments online was uh, someone tweeted at me from after a review that uh, like Charlie Schmidlin sounds like something you do to pass the time, and then that was w- one of two or three. Three <laughs> tweets, not about the review at all, just about the name uh-huh. and about how that would correlate to me being an awful person right. about having you know panned this film. God, someday I hope to. So far, I mean, I've I've very rarely been, uh, and that's not true. I, I get called on the carpet by comments all the time, but it's not usually yeah. my name. Yeah, that's true. I guess people will latch on to whatever horseshit they can when it's like, well, the review is airtight, so what can I do? Oh, they have a name that's different than mine, I guess. Yeah. So there we go. You know what's come up a lot for me recently in terms of commenters talking shit? Yeah, I've noticed. Something that used to happen a while ago and that didn't happen for a while, but now I've gone back to being called a fake feminist a lot. Mm. But I realize it's only ever guys who are calling me a fake feminist. So yeah. I feel like I'm going to proceed as normal. Until someone who is an authority calls me a fake feminist. I think I'm good. Well, David, I I think a few, I don't know if you noticed this, but like probably two and a half months ago, you just started using the word chicks all the time, (laughs) which was really weird. So I think people picked up on it. Yeah, what's funny is that I, you, we can cut this out if you want, but you, you, when you were a teenager, you said that word a lot. Oh, sure. <laughs> I was a teenager. Yeah. yeah. I'll blame <laughs> But I remember I think like when I first met you, when we were both like 17, like it, yeah. you used it enough that it stuck out to me. Like, you know why? Here's, here's what it, because 
in talking about even now I have our time fellow teenagers uh-huh. female teenagers girls didn't sound right okay women didn't sound right sure you're, so you're, it's you're, just, you're, you're teenagers it's not yeah so it's like but I think girls is so fine. Ch- chicks you're like I want chicks let's, let's go and, yeah let's check out these chicks man yeah um, you know what creeps me out what's that is when guys like okay I understand the word female as like a sort of general term like a an adjective especially sure. you know like a you know you know, uh, we. I hope to someday. We I hope we someday have a female president or whatever. But when someone refers to an actual person as like a female, you know, like I always see this. Like I feel like whenever whenever um, there's a sexual abuse scandal in sports, which is every other week, um, <laughs> uh, someone will say like, you know, we shouldn't you know we, uh, we shouldn't disrespect females like that. Shouldn't treat females like that. It makes it sound like they're talking about another species of animal, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bit clinical. Yeah, I'll say that. And it's I guess othering. Sure, is the word. But I don't know. We're all guys. What the fuck? Are we we're all yeah. fake feminists here. <laughs> I don't I don't identify as any kind of feminist, you know. Because uh, I, I, as you know, I well that chick thing should tell you everything. Yeah. Uh, ever since I was a teenager, I don't care for women. <laughs> <laughs> so they they frighten me, David. You know what's funny? As I used, I think in the early days of this podcast, I used to have that running joke about you that you didn't like movies yeah. about women, but that's actually changed. I feel like. Yeah, I think you, it has. Yeah. It's my, I don't know. Maybe it's because I've been married longer sure, and yeah. I see the female perspective more and it just, it interests me more. So Charlie, women pro com? Uh, pro. <laughs> okay. Okay. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part, pro I'd say I'm firmly in the pro camp. Yeah. Um, I feel like I wasn't going to get into this right away, but I feel like we're kind of here. Boy, we arrived at it. Um, <laughs> there. film Twitter has been, um, a buzz, a, a buzz. It's been a fucking nightmare, uh, the, this week, uh, because of, um, the revelation that, um, Devin Faraci, who stepped down from working at, uh, for uh, for Alamo Drafthouse and Birth Movies Death uh, about this time last year was working for them again sort of so, semi-quietly I don't know there are more details to that um, and it, there has there have been a lot of different reactions I myself have very complex feelings about the issue actually um, we should say for full disclosure Devin was a guest on the show once but yeah. uh, we should also say that neither one of us is friends with him <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I um, wasn't even on the show at the time. Uh, that's right. He that's was right. a fill-in. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, should we lay out, should we lay out the the the, okay. the events of? So here's the timeline for people. If, if you are you know living under a film Twitter rock and you don't know what happened last year uh, when Devin was tweeting about um, Donald Trump's uh, pussy grabbing braggadocio. Um, someone stepped forward a, a woman that he knew when he i guess lived in new york uh, uh, you know more than 10 years ago and said hey you know you did that to me and then a couple of other sort of uh, uh accusers came forward and and had um stories about his uh harassing behavior and it sort of i feel like the you know the uh the the, the keg was full of powder already because a lot of people, um, for a lot of very good reasons, if I'm being honest, don't like him. You know, he was a jerk to a lot of people a lot of the time. Um, I, I don't think I'm out of turn uh, saying that. And it led. I never him. liked his review of Entrance. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> That's definitely like the chief complaint <laughs> about him is he didn't give Entrance 
uh, enough of a chance. Well, you know what? In retrospect, he was kind of shitty and dismissive about Susie Block's name, which is her real name. Which is her real name. It wasn't the it was the character's name, but it was also her real name. Yeah, and, and he was, was making fun of the way she spells her name. Yeah, that seemed kind of mean. How is, it, how is it spelled? S U Z I E Y. My last name is Schmidlin. I have no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. I have no um, block with that. And so last year he stepped down from, like I said, Alamo, Bur- Alamo, Alamo Birth House, Alamo Draft House slash Birth Movie Staff. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so, back in the Alamo, they did have the birth house. Uh, it was a horrifying um, place. And then um, just this week, uh, Fantastic Fest is coming up. The program appeared online and uh, some eagle-eyed readers happened to notice that some of the uh, synopses or blurbs of the movies uh, were credited to to him um it's you know uh, tim league of alamo draft house has said that he's wants to give devin a second chance that devin has gotten uh sober and is uh you know repentant for his behavior um but also it's unclear exactly how long he's been working for the Alamo Draft House there are people there at least one person who worked there said uh, he or she started seeing uh, uh, Devin's name CC'd on emails within a month of him stepping down last year I don't know if that's again that's uh, that's alleged but it, it, it clearly was something that was happening gradually uh, and so people are um, uh, outraged by this that, that he was able to come back to his job or some semblance of his job uh, one person from the Fantastic Fest uh, board retired or stepped down um, resigned I guess whatever the word is uh, and now Devin Faraci has resigned from uh, Alamo Draft House again I think that's without too much editorializing those are the facts of the story am I right? Right. Okay um, thoughts? I have plenty but uh, clearly <laughs> I've already talked a lot yeah I mean, just from reading both statements uh, that were presented online, it was really just the, the first the initial shock of the fact that Devin had re- reemerged in a position that was on its way to becoming, I mean, unchecked what he formerly was, you know, on the same tracks, in the same realm with the same people that he was formerly working with. Um, okay. that was the initial shock of saying well and but then the the second bit came out of exactly how long this was going on and there were just a lot of questions in terms of uh as we were saying the timeline of this Mm -hmm. that didn't quite add up so it it was a lack of transparency under the guise of full transparency that got me at first um yeah yeah i mean i feel like i've said on the show before that i think that um what what's what I'm looking for um rehabilitation forgiveness second chances I think these are really truly important things and I think um on the one hand I would I you know I wasn't personally wronged by Devin Faraci I was uh, aghast at what he did and I understand that people not only people that he uh hurt but also other people who have gone through similar things or just people like me who sympathize with people who've gone through those things. I understand people might not be as quick to forgive him. I personally would be willing to, I think the way that this happened is real shitty. Um, you know, I almost like I want to, you know, until I know, until I know otherwise, I want to believe that he has changed that, you know, as, 
I guess he's been sober since then and, and, and all this. So I want to believe that he's changed. Um, I'm almost in a way I'm more, um, bothered by Tim League and the Alamo draft house and how they handled this with a, I think it shows a lack of, um, respect for the, um, the, the woman he assaulted who he told her, you know, um, uh, back a year ago that this was the action he was taking, that everyone was stepping down. I feel like to that. And she has tweeted a lot about how she, you know, uh, much like what I just said, she wants to give second chances, but she feels lied to. Um, I also think it's been disrespectful to a lot of other people who maybe frequent the Alamo draft house or people who work at the Alamo draft house who had a problem with this. I feel like they weren't, their voices weren't heard in the, in the way that, that this came back. Um, I, I, this was a, this was a disaster on Alamo draft houses part. I can't believe they handled this in the way that they did. I don't know. Tyler, you haven't talked yet. What do you think? There's a, there's a lot going on here. Uh, and it's tough cause I have, I have a hard time talking about this sort of thing cause it seems gossipy. Uh, and I recognize it isn't, but it feels like that to me uh, at times. And so I'm reluctant to, to weigh in. One thing that I'll say is that it is, to me, shocking. Not like, I'm not like clutching my pearls or anything like that, but it is surprising that it did not occur to Tim League that this would be a problem. Yeah. Or did, that it did not seem so. Like, it seems to me that if I were in... And, and this will lead me to, into saying something else. But if I were in Devin's position and my name carried with it some baggage, uh, it seems to me that even, I mean, yeah, you still want to get back in, back in business and that's understandable. But at the same time, it's like if, even if my friend said, you know what, we're going to start putting your name on things, but like, let's hold off for a, for a moment. Um, so I feel like, and but then, see, and I, then I don't for, even know because if you do it that way, if you do it that way, where his name isn't on stuff, then it's never going to be a good time because it always is going to seem underhanded. Well, and that's the thing is like, let's. It's like you can still write for us, and you can still be involved, but let's hold off on putting your name on it until we are making some kind of statement. Because I, I, I say, I would rather happen the other way. Like, let's not. I don't want to bring you back until we feel like we can lead with the statement. Yeah. I think ideally that would be the, that would be the case. Um, but if you're going to do this, I guess that's, if you're going to do it this way, I guess that's the way to do it, but you just shouldn't do it this way. The other thing that I had the thought of is that, you know, none of the three of us, you know what? I'm sorry. That's, this is presumptuous in my part. I was going to say none of the three of us are celebrities, Charlie. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) that's correct. You're correct. But, uh, you know, we write about movies online. Uh, there are people that know our names and then there are people that there are a lot of people that knew Devin's name, the nature of what, uh, of what we do and what we are trying to do and trying to make a, a legitimate career out of. And Devin actually managed to is that it makes us a type of public figure. Okay. A type of one. And so if he wants to, so like, for him to be in the business at all, unless he decides he wants to get a pen name, which might be advisable, like for him to be in this business at all is to be back in like the 
at least in the film Twitter community, the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't necessarily feel bad for Devin cause he got himself into Absolutely. this yeah. situation. Um, when I it, say that I want to give second chances, I want to forgive this. That's more for my soul. Than for sure. Else. Sure. <laughs> like I feel like that's the healthy thing to do as a person, but, uh, I don't have, I don't have an inch of sympathy for him. My sympathy is with the people that he hurt, uh, the, the women that he hurt and as a apparently serial sexual harasser and all, yeah. all the many, many people that he was just an unconscionable dick to, um, and bully to, uh, a lot of the time. Like you know? Susie block um. <laughs> or maybe the people that he, you know, would, uh, specifically advise to go kill themselves on, on Twitter. Um, yeah. This is why I'm not a part of film Twitter. Uh, I did not, I was not familiar. No, I didn't know he did that. Film Twitter has been a marginally more pleasant place over the past year. <laughs> <laughs> as much as film Twitter can be improved. It honestly, it has been, uh, a bit nicer, um, without him around. I have to say, I have to say right. that. Um, so I don't want to sound like when I say I believe in forgiveness, second chances, I don't want to sound like I'm forgiving what he did. I just want to believe that people can change. Sure. It's, sure. And it sounds um, like he's trying to, but at the same time, there's a better way to roll this out. Yeah. Um, that's it. I also want to also sounding like I'm coming to his defense. There are other people who are friends of his who have defended him. And I think, um, it's shitty for people to say like, uh, I'm never going to read this person again because they say that Devin's changed and they're like friends with him. Like that's, they're not, none of those people, this isn't okay. There's one, there's one situation. There's like when the Amber heard Johnny Depp thing happened sure. and there were friends of Johnny Depp who were saying Amber Heard's a fucking liar. Like that's pretty rough. Devin's friends aren't saying that no one is doubting or slandering his accusers. They're just saying he's our friend we believe that he's changed. And I think that's honestly, I think that's virtuous. I think that's a good thing for, a, I think standing by your friends is a good thing for a person to do and believing in them is a good thing for a person to do. So I'm kind of, um, uh, annoyed with the people who were saying, I would say like Jen Yamato or like saying, I'll never read Jen again or Jen, you're breaking my heart. Like no, Jen Yamato's still, uh, awesome and a great writer. And she just happens to be a friend of a person who, uh, you don't like, and she's being a good friend to him. I, I don't know. I don't know how you, how you guys feel about his friends sticking up for him. I think you're absolutely correct when you say that you shouldn't judge them based on the fact that they uh, are actively helping their friends behind the scenes, you know, on a, pl- uh, you know, beyond a platform that's reductive anyway, that we all see, which is right. film Twitter. Yeah you know, there, what's happening the other, you know, 23 hours of the day, or uh-huh. I mean, depending on how much time you spend on Twitter, you know, it depends, but, um, a little bit more than that this week, <laughs> but it's, it, there's a personal and then there's the professional and, and, uh, Tyler, I think you're right. When I, I try to stay out of a lot of the, the film Twitter back and forth simply because it is really gossipy and to, um, and, and exhausting, just taking, taking even a step into a lot of the situations that go down on, on that platform is, is pretty exhausting. But when the personal starts to inch into the professional and the way that a lot of these writers make their living, which is, you know, covering film and, and going to these festivals that at one point were, 
uh, a fun, you know, supportive atmosphere to be in, all of a sudden to have this this external force start to creep back in that they thought was formally taken care of. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I'm um, torn, and you know, it's it's been happening in the LA film community recently with Cine Family yeah, right. and uh, a whole host of other places over the past couple of years. Um, but it really comes down to, for myself, just taking a look at what these organizations have done and these these institutions have done and asking myself whether I'm going to support them anymore. And if yeah. the answer is no, then sticking to that. Yeah, um, I'm still, um, I think I'm at a place where, I mean, Cine family in terms of like the at least three people have left Cine family and I kind of feel like it will be okay for me but for I just not for anyone else everyone else makes their decision I'll feel okay going back to Cine family I think when it reopens whereas I've never been to an Alamo draft house um I don't like the idea of people eating fucking burgers and ribs and shit while I'm trying to watch a movie anyway so it was never my scene but David but there's <laughs> no texting so so all yeah. and you can't dis- walk in late unless of course you're part of the wait staff and you can walk in whatever the fuck you yeah. want here's a bunch of clanking uh, dishes yeah I, I don't but know put that fucking phone away uh, well, yeah. have, have either you have, no. Uh, no okay it's uh, I've only been to the ones in Austin you know which is held up as the the shining jewel of that right. experience and it is very I'll, I'll say this that it's it's done the absolute best way that something like that could be done yeah they're not ostentatious about their they're not like you know tripping over stuff and like whispering to you they they're very you just simply write what you want and they come and take that slip away and then reappear with your food um how you feel about people you know scarfing down chicken wings next to you is another <laughs> matter but I yeah, didn't find like it. unless I'm watching a movie that takes place in a vat of barbecue sauce, why do I want to be smelling <laughs> all that food? Like, there's nothing to be said for the pre- preserving the uh, olfactory movie-going experience as well sure. as the visual and audio. Though, audio. if you were to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and there was the smell of barbecue sauce yeah, in the it would, theater, it would work. It would be more effective. Sort of off-topic, but do you have any? Do you guys have any like olfactory, you know, s- smell memories of specific films? Like if you watch a specific film or if somebody says a specific film, can you oh. remember what the defining smell was for you while watching that film? No, I mean, I can remember, I can remember what certain theaters smell like. I mean, sure. most theaters smell more or less the same. Mm. Um, but there are certain things like the, uh, the, the, the village four in Chicago, which smelled like popcorn and hot dogs and soda. Um, but also mildew and sawdust. Yes. Um, <laughs> it tasted <laughs> like old, all of those things. Yeah. But the good thing about that I said about the village four is that occasionally, occasionally you'd get a lot of extra leg room because the seat in front of you would just be missing. <laughs> that was a nice thing about that theater. Anyway, no, I don't think I have any specific uh, smell uh, memories. I don't think I do either. Actually, that just it just remind. Maybe it's uh, something specific to something I have that's undiagnosed. But uh, uh, under the skin and Swiss Army Man specifically, most recently, are ones that when you say that immediately, I think of perfume mixed with sushi like old old uh elderly perfume mixed with sushi uh, from the the woman who was sitting next to me during swiss army man and then under the skin someone brought i believe it was again like sushi they had just gone from the, to that from that uh sushi place down the street from the arc light uh-huh. and then said come over and i think they were holding on to takeout from that sushi place so it just reached the entire time yeah. 
of uh, just the worst kind of, I don't know what it was, but I, I, I couldn't separate it from the film. So now that's ingrained. <laughs> Um, my memory of seeing Swiss Army Man has nothing to do with smell. It has to do with my stomach being upset um, mm. because I saw it. It was like my second day at um, it was the first Sundance I went to and it was like 830 in the morning. Mm. And so I had only slept a few hours and then had like coffee and like, a you know, a, a muffin from a case that had been sitting there probably two days. And so I don't know that, that sort of upset stomach from, from just like not having slept enough. Like yeah. that's what I remember from, I still loved his army man, but I remember being like, I'm not feeling well. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but back to the subject at hand. Yes. I'm glad you brought up Cine family cause I wanted to uh, bring up, um, I think where I was going is I, you know, in that specific case, I, like I said, I might feel, I might feel okay going back there, but I think there does seem to be a larger problem that we need to, Need, need to think about in terms of uh, um, these sort of this community and these sort of theaters and these sort of events like Fantastic Fest um, coming to feel like a boys club where the men who run things are protecting one another, rallying r- around one another. And it's, I think, sort of automatically uh, necessarily kind of an alienating message to send to um, half of the film audience who are, who are women. You know, I've, I think that's something that I've heard. Uh, that's a thing I've heard. Uh, April Wolf in LA Weekly, or LAweekly.com at least, um, that was her, um, what her editorial was about. Like, I want to be able to get lost in a, a movie, and I keep going to these places that are telling me that I'm, you know, uh, that my safety or my comfort is secondary to the group of the uh, men who, who run things. And I think that's, um, that, that's something that I've really been thinking about today. It's something that wouldn't have occurred to me if I didn't, uh, you know, read things like what April Wolf said or what other people have said on, uh, on Twitter. Um, and I'll definitely be keeping that more in mind for this community uh, in the future. I mean, think about I mean, how many, can you think of, uh, something else someone said, like uh, rep theaters that are run by women. Doesn't it seem like, um, I don't know. Uh, I know in terms of festivals, like I know like LA film fest, which is where I see you almost every year. Right. Uh, a lot of the people who run the movies, like almost all the, all the, uh, festival employees who are introducing the movies at LA film fest are almost always women. And I love that. And, um, uh, I've often said that, um, maybe my favorite festival every year at the Turner classic movies, uh, the TCM classic film festival, mm-hmm. which is, uh, as in terms of gender is close to an actual, like representation of the real world. And I've, I've ever seen it at a festival. There are so many women and so many awesome women who go to the TCM classic film fest. And that's a, it's, you really can feel that as part of the, the, the presence. And so I guess I wanted to hold up those examples, but also, um, I don't know. What do you guys think of that aspect of, of this? I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I can't think of one specific rep theater that's. Uh, I mean, there was the there was the women and Cine family uh, yeah. segment at Cine family, but that it seems was just as pro- uh, troubled as the rest of the institution. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, but I know their um, Sunday French film series La Collectionneuse is run by a woman, a French woman. Um, and, and by but, by troubled, I just mean it, it, it was trying to uh, run a certain type of program, and it mm-hmm. kept getting um, swayed by. Oh, okay. The the staff there. I don't know, Tyler. Your your thoughts. Well, I'm not. Uh, I, I wish that I 
I'm not that plugged into film Twitter in general, Good but also you. like the the rep theater scene. Like, I don't really know who's behind it, and I probably, I guess, I should now. Um, like, I don't know who runs things. I just know the theaters themselves, and do I like it or do I not? Um, and but here's the thing that I've been thinking. I'm not sure. If I believe what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> it happens sometimes. We'll hang that caveat out there yeah. first. At some, and this, I might be making a larger point about the world at the moment. At some point, civility, like we t- keep talking about the word forgiveness, which is, which plays into it. At some point, civility needs to win. Like at some point, Someone somewhere needs to say, you know what? I am angry and I will do what I can to have a proportional response instead of wear my anger on my sleeve, have that define me and just contribute to the larger anger. Like to me, and don't get me wrong, like there is justifiable anger and, but if it, but it needs to be I feel like it needs to be funneled to something that is productive so that the thing that has been done cannot happen again. And I feel like the nature of forgiveness, when I forgive somebody, which is criminally less than it should be, um, cause I'm a very, uh, unforgiving person. Um, grudge holding motherfucker. Damn right. Um, <laughs> but when I forgive somebody, what I, what ultimately I'm saying is that I'm going to take the hit on this rather than bring this back to you and hurt you. I'll still do what I can to make sure that this doesn't happen again to me or anybody else, but I'm not going to hold this against you forever. And in those moments when I'm feeling anger towards you and vengeful towards you and bitter in general, I am going to, when I, when I say I'm forgiving, I am promising you and the world that I'm going to fight that instinct. And I feel like nobody is doing that in the world right now because there's so much genuinely heinous shit going on, but everybody is so, but it feels so good to be angry and righteously so. And so like, I guess my question is like, what is a proportional productive solution to Devin Faraci and Cine family? Like, that I think is why I don't like film Twitter or Twitter in general for the most part is everyone is so busy showing how angry they are hmm. and that even if like you to your credit you say you weren't wronged you can be objectively angry about something but there are plenty of people out there who they don't give that caveat they act as though something was done to them personally simply because they, but it's like, we can all acknowledge that something bad has happened, but at the same time, like, I feel like everyone is so eager to maybe distance their distance themselves from any idea of personal culpability, uh, and how this could have happened. Perhaps something that perhaps something the three of us have done unknowingly has contributed to an environment in which certain things can happen. And so the best way to show that we, no, 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 we, uh, that we are not that is to really lay it on thick, to lay on the anger, to lay on the indignation. And, 
and it's just a thing that I've, I find myself getting exhausted by. I know it's weird and I know this is very broad, but I feel like anger is very, is a very popular thing right now. And someone somewhere eventually, never the victims, obviously, um, someone somewhere needs to just be like, I'm committed to not being unnecessarily angry and work and using that energy to work towards a solution rather than let everyone know how angry I personally am. What thing that that we've talked about though, are you specifically addressing here? Cause I don't think other than people saying like people who have, you're saying people who have like Devin's friends, people are saying, yeah. I can't read you anymore. Like that's it's stuff like that. And I guess it's, it's stuff like what have people suggested should be done about Tim Lots about of, lots Devin, of lots of things. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I mean, so I don't mean to apply. Nobody in, in has. the Senate family thing. Like it comes down to a lot of like policy that either didn't exist or wasn't enforced. Yeah, and um, that's great. And and um, uh, things like the way that um, reporting sexual harassment to your boss is yeah. handled. You know, because uh, that's another thing that came out about Tim League is after the thing last year, another employee. The email was made public that he basically said, yeah. "Like, can we keep this between you and me?" Yeah. <laughs> like he said that, and then he had yeah. audacity to end the email. Yeah. Cheers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's just his signature on the email thing. Probably but, yes. Um, which I don't like that either in general. Uh, um, yeah, um, but yeah. So, I, I, but I, I think I think there are a lot of things. I mean, uh, you're right. You like Twitter is what it is, and I think you kind of have to learn how to um, parse it, I guess, without yeah. getting angry. Or if your solution is just to stay off of Twitter and film Twitter in general, that's a solution. But then is, but I feel like maybe that's not a solution. Like, you know, people, t- I just rewatched spotlight by the way. Okay. Um, and so much of that came from some people circling the wagons and other people not wanting to see things. And like, circling the wagons is terrible and just be like, well, this person has something in common with me. And so in order to show that I'm not guilty, I need to make it seem as though they, this person is also not guilty. And then we're, then we're all fine. Um, and then we can just continue doing things the way we always have. But then there's also people who are just like, ah, this is very uncomfortable and I don't want to know about it. And so like my not wanting to be a part of it on Twitter, maybe it's that maybe I'm contributing to that. Um, but I'm not sure. But that's the thing. Part of me is like, I don't know what I know me. And I know that I am also prone to anger and just really dwelling on that anger and, fe- and letting it make me feel good because like, okay. surely a guilty party would not be this angry, uh, you know? <laughs> and so it's a flawed thing. It's flawed thinking by the way. Um, and so like, I feel like if there are people that are, that are clamoring for solutions and then the solutions are made, I feel like it, the anger should stop at that point. Like not, not, not stop but like, from the people who are wrong. That's oh, of course not. Yeah. Of course not. You're saying what I was saying earlier, which is give the rehabilitation a chance. Give I think it's that. chance a chance. I think it's that. What do you think, John? This is all very broad. I apologize. <laughs> what a weird episode for you to be a part of. Perfectly fine. It's a weird, it's a weird time. Um, yeah. I, I, no, I, I think you're right. It's from what I've gathered on, on, on Twitter and I, I'm kind of, I believe in the, in the middle of you two in terms of Twitter usage or social media usage in general. Um, 
I've found that there are people dedicated to finding positive solutions for a lot of this. It just happens offline. And then yeah. it's announced, and then Twitter reacts to it. And then entire conversations happen on that. Um, that's not to say that certain movements are started on Twitter. Um, you know, you can you can you can count a, a couple major examples of that in the past couple of years. Um, Oscar So White being mm-hmm. the, the main one. Um, yes, all women. Yes, all women. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in terms of this, these 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 movements happening in a positive direction. I, I, I see this, I, I always say start locally and see what you can do there in terms of positive change because simply yelling into the void and, and hoping someone agrees with you, yeah. uh, I, I feel is, is slightly diminishing. Um, I, I would start with, with, volu- with vo- like volunteering at a film organization, finding out how they, how they, they work. Um, I've been looking into that with with CalArts, with various rep programs around the, the city, uh, how how can my friends and I get involved in terms of shaping the film scene into what we want to, what we'd like to see mm-hmm. it be, not just have it turn into the boys club that it's been for so many years. Uh, I, maybe you can verify this. The, the, the Vidiots, is, okay. is that being, trying to be one. pushed forward? Um is Vidius is still around? Yeah, um, I believe there was a there was a groundswell of support to have that uh, emerge as hmm. a, a new voice to kind of take take the mantle of all this. But yeah, um, in terms of solutions and all this, uh, starting locally, I, I feel is the best opportunity to, to do so and see how you can change that. Um, yeah, the, that's the, the, <laughs> that's something that I should should probably do. Um, as well, but I, I still think uh, what I said before about policy being changed is is what needs to happen. We've seen this. Uh, what I talked about with the the April Wolf editorial about generally making as many people as possible feel welcome at a film festival or at a rep house. Um, something that's happened in comic book conventions, not nearly enough at the big one at San Diego Comic-Con, but is um, having strict policy and posted policy about harassment of cosplayers, because that's something that, uh, I mean, uh, I've heard plenty of horror stories firsthand um, and seen stuff firsthand of uh, people, you know, largely women cosplaying at, at conventions and being treated like commodities or something less than people who are being bossed around essentially by people who just want the picture and aren't treating them as human beings, um, uh, or making comments like, uh, a lot of comic book conventions have taken direct policy action to say, this is our policy on this. It's posted here. If you are found to be in violation of this, you'll be asked to leave or whatever their policy is. Um, and I think, uh, it doesn't seem, crazy to to think that um these rep houses or festivals could have for both employees and for attendees um policies that make it clear that they're not uh going to protect or circle the wagons or as tyler said or sleep under the rug um these these sort of things and this isn't a film specific or comic book convention specific uh problem this is something that's happened um the a lot of um music festivals i don't know if you heard about the hmm. there was a 
um, festival in Europe that like, uh, um, I think went like, like the Alamo draft house, wonder woman screenings, like went this year where uh, it's all women because there are, um, a huge number of not just sexual harassment, but sexual assaults that happen at rock music festivals. And it's something that it's like, uh, you know, not to, you know, put on my SJW shoes again, but it's like, I occasionally have to check my privilege and think that like for a lot of women, like there's a, there's an extra level of awareness they have to dawn before they head into many, many situations. You know, I mean, we just joked about it just on the other episode last week about how I like to kill time sitting at a bar alone and just right. checking film Twitter usually and having a beer. And that's like not as easy a problem. Like a woman can't necessarily in a lot of places just sit down at a bar alone and have a drink because either she's going to be pitied because they think people think something's wrong no. or she's going to be harassed because people think she's there to meet someone. And that's a very low level compared to what I'm talking about at these festivals, uh, rock festivals, film festivals, festivals, these rep houses, these places, um, where I think we, the, the, so I guess if you're asking what we can do, I think as men, we can be more cognizant. And that's the way of, I'll re I'll, I'll rephrase check your privilege because I think that that phrase tends to uh, turn a lot of people off because they've overheard it. I would say, be more cognizant. Imagine what this situation, these situations say to someone who f- loves films as much as you do, but happens to be a woman, you know, uh, imagine what message they're getting or how they're made to feel or what they have to think about before they enter this sort of, sort of place. And I think that's, that's where it starts. That's the positivity. That's where you, I guess that's what you transform your anger into, uh, is cognizance. Is that a word? Did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roger Ebert said that, uh, film is a machine that generates empathy. Wouldn't it be nice if, uh, the film lovers community was the same thing? Yeah. Well, I think we exhausted this topic, (sighs) not just the topic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I could use an app myself. Um, I'm, I feel like I need to, we need to apologize to the guest. I'm so sorry, Charlie. We told Charlie beforehand we were going to talk about this, right? I I mean, in his defense, a minute and a half before. <laughs> um, uh, Just a heads up. We're going to ruin your night. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It, yeah, no, we're, we're, it's, it's, invo- it's, inv- it's, it's on the minds of a lot of people at the moment. So I think yeah. it's, I, I don't think we could have done an episode this week and not addressed it. It would have been weird. Totally. <laughs> I think totally. Um, uh, even though as we said, we didn't address the cine family thing cause it was just like our, our recording schedule yeah. was such that it happened at a time where we weren't actually yeah. recording together for a while. So I'm glad we got to address that. Um, and I also didn't mean to get into it that early. I was going to like get to know Charlie first and then we ended up talking about feminism and it's just sort of led us, uh, into it. So let's get to know Charlie. <laughs> Let me ask, I'll start by asking the question. Start. 50 minutes into the podcast. Holy shit. Really? Uh, yeah. I will ask the oh, question that I ask every first time guest. Uh, where are you from and where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Elgin, Illinois, which is about 40 miles Northwest of Chicago. Uh, sure. technically I, I'm, I've, I was, I've always been confused. And I think a lot of Ella, Illinois residents are confused about Chicago land and what right. that's referred to. But I believe Elgin is referred to as Chicago land. Right. That is so it's the Chicagoland area. Yeah, that is the term for those who don't know for the Tyler and I both used to live in Chicago. So that is the term for the greater Chicago area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's at least it makes more sense than what we call the greater Los Angeles area, which is the Southland, which is just weird. Yeah, because <laughs> it's How like far it, does that stretch? 
I, there I have are, read, I there think, are lands further south that are not Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, I feel like Southland includes Orange County, but not San Diego County. Sure. I think. Orange County is pretty damn far away, though. Um, yeah, I think Southland, I think of as being generally orange Los Angeles and Ventura counties. That's kind of what I think of as the Southland. Okay. I don't know. I mean, and you wonder why people have a hard time, like, getting some geographical sense when they move out here. Like, oh, I, that's, I've just learned that now that it even extended that far. So I don't, I don't know. That's just my impression. Okay. Be. It's sort of like defining what a millennial is. I mean, obviously, I'm a millennial. But a lot of people <laughs> say that a 1980s, early 1982, or late 1982 birthday like mine doesn't qualify me. But I'm, I'm clearly is millennial, a millennial AF, as I've said. Uh, <laughs> definitely not trying too hard. <laughs> uh, I do enjoy this character, I should say. <laughs> the, millennial David. <laughs> the insistent millennial, millennial AF David. <laughs> the guy desperately clinging to this identity. Uh, let me into the millennial club, please. It's like, no, pay um, no attention to this white in my beard. Um, <laughs> he's dabbing nonstop. You can't, yeah. can't see. But. Um, okay, so you, you, you grew up in, in Elgin. I didn't know. I don't think I knew you from the Chicago area or did I did we talk about this at some point I I think we briefly spoke about Chicago like at a festival after party at some point I I would normally see you at for about like 10 to 15 minute stretches at a time like just grabbing a festival sponsored beer yeah here's what I know about Charlie is that uh, at a film festival Charlie knows where the parties are I think oh god is that (laughs) because I don't know do you remember when we met uh, LA, LA Film Fest. Yeah, we had just, I think we, I can't remember, we sat next to each other afterwards. We saw a movie called The Young Kieslowski that never really got a, a, a release. Not a bad movie. Not, mm-hmm. a, not a great movie either, but not a bad, but uh, early effort from Haley, Haley Lou Richardson, who was right. uh, an up and comer. Um, anyway, and so we were talking afterwards and you were like, so are you going to the after party? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know about this. And oh, you were God. like, just come with me. And like, um, I got up there like, and they were like, can we see your invitation? You like whipped out your phone and showed you. And I like pretended I was looking for an invitation. Uh, you did, phone, your, you did your I, look at the phone. Yeah. Then I never got, like I just looked long enough to give it to the guy. I was like, just, just come in. Um, and so that <laughs> you're was embarrassing like, yourself, sir. Just come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I think the next year, what was the movie that you hated with uh, John Hawk? Too late. Oh. Too late. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, I heard any of that, and you were like vibrating with hatred for this movie, and then you were like, "So you going to the after party?" <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I know about Charlie: is he knows where the parties are. Well, yeah. No, they. they that's what that's what festivals are for. You know, you uh, you hate a movie with all the fiber of your being, <laughs> and then immediately just <laughs> just stuff them down and uh, enjoy. Although at that that after party was cool because John Hawks did perform a set. Oh, see, I didn't go to that one. Oh, I, I left, I think because I, you know why? Because, uh, I had taken public transit and I was like, I'm not going to this party and have to like take the bus all the way home at one thirty in the morning. I'm going to go hmm. now. Yeah. Uh, I should have gone. Apparently I should have gone to the party. Yeah. I, the feelings on the movie aside, that was pretty, cool. did you, did you just boo him because he was in a movie you didn't like? Uh, the, the collective effort from the rest of his career kind of fair enough. And I, I, I kept my mouth shut. So yeah, you get this one Hawks, <laughs> just one. You were, I remember standing on Wilshire outside of the, cause it was the LACMA, uh, yeah. for this screening with you after the movie. And you were like a guy who just like found out that, someone had slept with his girlfriend <laughs> and you wanted to beat him up. Like you were like shaking, like, Oh, that movie. Oh man. Like, I, was, I was definitely pacing. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen this too? I have not. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, 
I have, I had heard mostly fine things about too late and occasionally, uh, positive things. Uh, but it sounds to me mm. like on that side of the table, Mm-mm. too late is too little is <laughs> if, if at, the, at least, <laughs> uh, but like the movie demolition, did that to me. Okay. So yes, yeah. I recognize I acted like I'm acting like it physically hurt me. Uh, but like every once in a while, there's a movie like, oh, fuck this thing. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this thing all day long. And it sounds like that's what too late was for you. It, and I don't like to, uh, you know, I don't want to, I, I put, th- that was the easy, one of the easiest reviews I've ever written just because yeah. it just poured, <laughs> yeah. poured out of me. Um, it was simply a case of the entire film not working for me at at all. It was at one point during the film, I thought I ha- might have to leave because it was so <laughs> obnoxiously like in. The, OK, I mean, have you ever detailed the first five minutes of the movie? I don't remember the uh, what are the first it's seared minutes? into my memory. It's it's Ryder Strong wearing a fedora. <laughs> Then with with another guy, they both are playing hitmen. Ryder Strong says the N word in the first Ooh. five minutes, and that's not the last time he no, says it in the movie no. either. For one of many, uh, they're walking in Griffith Griffith Park, I think. Uh, yeah, it must be. Yeah, um, or is it Elysian Park? It might be Elysian. It's, Park. I think. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah. Elysian. Uh, they're walking in Elysian, talking about hitmen in movies. So right away, you're like, oh, here we go. And uh, then they stumble upon uh, a, a woman. Scantily clad, right. I believe, um, and they they continue their conversation about movies, and then, then I believe she gets uh, murdered, and then John Hawks comes in in a convertible, and it's all done in one one take, mind you. Well, you mean, not to like praise this movie, I liked it more than you did, but after they leave, she makes a phone call. And then without breaking a shot, the shot, the movie, the, the camera zooms all the way across the park to an apartment building all the way at the other end. Mm. And you see John Hawk answer the phone in the one in one shot and have the conversation. Pretty this clever. Is the, Pretty this clever. is the hook of the movie mm-hmm. is that it's, it's like, a, look how look how long we can hold the camera for. Yeah. <laughs> And, so, and and then here's the thing, like it's it's and that a, wasn't praised by the way I, that's <laughs> I don't hate the movie as much as you do but I'm not um uh, uh I'm not a uh, tumescent at the held a long held takes did we ever talk about the sec the third scene of the film which yeah, you remember this movie way better <laughs> wow it's, it's well because it's very easy to remember what the scenes were because it's all it's out of chronological order right. but they're all one take. Oh, okay. So it's five shots. Yeah, I think? five shots through the entire movie. Each is twelve, however long a maga film is. Um, the third section is uh, a part where John Hawks gets into a car accident, goes to Robert Forster's house, who plays a, <laughs> right. uh, like a mob boss. Yeah, and, and Jeff Fahey is in it. And Jeff Fahey as well. They're in their talking shop, and you know, yeah, fuck this, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. And then he, he, uh, Robert Forster has a girlfriend who inexplicably has no pants on. Julianne Moore in shortcut style. Yeah, shortcut style. <laughs> so the entire scene is just following her around with no pants on, just for no reason at all. It it was it was little things like that that just time, like slowly infuriated me over the course of however long it was, and then to see so many people, 
afterwards. Like th- there were a few reviews afterwards that uh, simply claimed it was the most brilliant thing they've ever seen, and it was it was maybe how you felt about demolition. It's like, did we even see the same? Film. <laughs> Thankfully, there weren't that many people that were very positive about demolition, but the film was very positive about itself. And <laughs> and I really I had that same thing. I, I told David afterwards, like, and I think I put it in my review about halfway through. It was a, I saw it at a studio screening. And so uh, I wanted to duck out, call David and say, what's our policy on leaving? <laughs> Because I want to leave. And, but it's like, no, no. They were nice to extend the invitation, so the least I can do is watch the whole movie. Maybe it'll get better. I knew that wasn't going to happen, and it got worse. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that, I think that's, that's the thing with certain films that there are movies that are terrible, but everyone knows they're terrible. So it's like, okay, so my anger is at least kind of we're all sharing it. So it doesn't have to just be me, but if it's something that everyone is over the moon about and you hate it, I feel like the hatred is just going to get more deeply rooted because like, Oh no, I, now I got to stand my ground because there's going to be a lot of people pushing back. Yeah. And what's, what's, Worse is I, my, my feelings have kind of leveled out on it over the past couple of years since <laughs> because uh, I, I work in production as well and I've worked with a few people who worked on Too Late and so I've kept my mouth shut first of all as soon as they say oh I worked on Too Late but then uh, just the, the in terms of how they put the film together it's it's really admirable and like the the sheer technicality of it yeah. is really imp- is really impressive but it's one of those things where I just question like for what <laughs> why did you put it's, effort into that. that it's a thing that David mentioned we did a, a whole episode about long takes and nine times out of ten a long take will take me out of something <laughs> because I will be able to I will appreciate the artistry and it's like oh shoot but I'm not like it's meant to be immersive it's meant to pull you in and not have like and have it be this very fluid experience and not have the artificiality of a cut which is a very foreign thing to the way we operate in life, you know, from the moment we now, wake well, not up according to Walter Murch, because cuts I guess there's like, blinks, like blinks. I guess yeah. there's that. But, um, but that's the thing is like, and, uh, I'm not going to all, I'm not going to argue with Walter Murch. Um, <laughs> I think he's probably right, but so many other people are just like, Oh, it, you know, it can create suspense. Cause you know, we're not cutting and, and a cut can, can let you off the hook. And, n- like I said, nine times out of 10, it's just like, uh, you are distancing me from this. Like I did not, I I'm not on board with either of the long takes in children of men. Hmm. Um, I can appreciate it, but as it, as it happens, these are two scenes in a larger movie and they, while they are important, they need to also contribute to the larger film and not steal focus, which is what they feel like. They feel like a kid who really wants to steal focus. Right. I think I'm, we've talked about this, as you said, we did a whole episode. I think I'm more on board with the Alfonso Cuarón ones, but if with you, I'm with you in that if I notice that the camera hasn't cut, yeah. I'm out of it. Atonement did that and uh, too late. Like there's no way, there's no way to not notice. Yeah. But I would say, I will say for a recent movie, atomic blonde, I didn't realize until the next day when I saw people talking about it on film Twitter, that the stairwell apartment building fight didn't have any, it has, by the way, it has like five cuts in it. They're just all hidden, Mm -hmm. but I did like, it didn't, 
it didn't even occur to me because I was into it. I don't know. Did you, did you see Atomic Blonde? I haven't yet, but it's uh, that's part of a slate of films where did, have you seen the promotional material for Atomic Blonde? Mm. It, it, it was really strange. Like I actually stopped and took note of it because um, it doesn't say anything about the movie itself or what people thought of it. It's simply just about the stairwell fight scene and that it's one take wow. and how flawlessly executed it is. It's the entire, it's, it's like a pull quote from uh, maybe like Vulture or somewhere wow. about the, the stair, the stairwell scene. And this is why I don't need press notes ever. Probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I don't remember the last time I actually read through it. It's like, I don't want to know what this guy has to say. Just let the movies say it. Uh, the press notes for Leap, oh, sorry, Leap. There we go. <laughs> um, were printed uh, single-sided. I was like, this is a waste of paper. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> going to read this. And then suddenly this thing's like 40 pages long because they had to print it, decided to print it single-sided. Anyway, <laughs> this is shop talk. Um, so you're from Elgin, Illinois. Yes. Yes. I'm you from grew El- up in Elgin? or uh, I, gr- I grew up in Elgin. Um, I grew up there as mostly commuting into Chicago for anything, uh, anything extracurricular like related or film related. Um, that's where all the theaters were. That's where all my friends were mostly. Um, so So what year did you leave Chicago? Um, I left to come here in 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, you were there when we were there. Uh, obviously we were there. When did you guys, I was there, a one to Oh five. You were there. Oh, one to Oh seven. Yeah. Right. Like, or like January Oh seven, but yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you were around, we might've been at some of the same movies. Probably. I, th- I mean, I know. I oh think shit. I've- I just remembered in school. I had a best friend <laughs> named Charlie Schmidlin. <laughs> hey, what's up? Bud? How's it going? It's going good. Oh boy. How what have you been up to? Hating too late. I understand. Hating, hating. Just okay. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All Incredible. Right. No, it, I know you guys have, I've heard it mentioned before. I, I think you've mentioned it to me before, but facets multimedia yeah. uh, mm-hmm. on Fullerton. Uh, that's kind of where I got my start in, in film and learning about film and criticizing film. That's, they have a film camp there for 14 to 17 year olds. Oh, cool. And so I enrolled in that. My, my mom, she caught a flyer and just gave it to me and signed me up. As you would do with like Little League or something, and mm. I just was entered into this thing, and it turned out to be like incredible. That um, every every summer I went for three years, you would go learn about like writing about films for an entire summer, and then making them. You'd learn production stuff, and people would stop in. Like we had uh, Richard Kelly came and did a Q and A, and like uh, Michael Wilmington from the Trib mm. came and and spoke and. So we we got face to face with time with people who were actually doing it in the Chicagoland area, and uh, becoming aware of how to write about films at the same time. So, yeah, I, I a lot of lot of love for that that place. Yeah, I loved facets. Even even though their uh, Cinematheque wasn't the most comfortable place to watch a movie. Yeah. Oh no, everything's made of wood. Uh, I think we saw. The Werkmeister harmonies there on New Year's Eve because we're party animals. Uh, and that movie's like two hours and 40 minutes long or something like that. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but it was a great movie. I also yes. saw I saw That Obscure Object of Desire, the Louis Bunuel uh, film there. I saw um, The Slaughter Rule. Sure. The, uh, Smith Brothers uh, uh, movie there. Probably some other stuff. 
Dude, I mean, and I didn't know this until I just about left, but they're, they have a video store yeah. attached mm-hmm. to the, the, the building as well. And it's one of the only places you can get VHS. You can actually rent VHS tapes anymore. Really? Um, they're completely out of stock elsewhere. Um, that, that was where I kind of got most of my, like, and they stocked a bunch of foreign titles and international titles, yeah. like region two, region three, uh, VHS and DVDs as well. So that was, it was really good in exposing myself to that stuff as well. I think the, um, the video store where I worked in Chicago, I want to say it's like a massage parlor now or something. Oh, it's, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. You can look it up on Google maps. Uh-huh. Nationwide video at Belmont Clark. Uh, it's not, not very sad. <laughs> Was, uh, what, do you remember the radio advertisement for that? It was a, a sex shop at Belmont and Clark that they would always advertise. Do you remember what I'm talking I about? Se- I, mean, I, I, I don't remember a sex shop at Belmont and Clark. It was like... It, 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 I, I just, it, it sticks in the brain just because it was always like a really gruff, like... ICP voice <laughs> level voice that would come on and be like so and so get your chains get your and like heavy metal music playing and then Belmont and Clark get oh was it um, the alley that's it yeah the alley yeah the alley I see I, I don't think it, the alley is like a like a a hot topic that's like it was like it's like the Virgin Megastore of hot topics but then it's also like a mom and pop hot topic at the yeah. same time right yeah I remember the alley now yeah. It was an okay place. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of it as a sex shop, but I guess you're right. Like it had all that stuff. Yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. For a minute, I thought like, oh, maybe he's talking about the Baskin Robbins. <laughs> um, I mean, the Dunkin' Donuts Baskin Robbins that was across the street from my video store. That's right. All day, I worked at a video store for like four years, uh, three and a half years. All day long, every day, people would get their cars booted there because mm. there's. Belmont and Clark is a very popular shopping district, especially for like, well, at the time, I think it's pretty gentrified now and not that it wasn't then, but at the time it was more like kids who were going to the alley, like suburban kids who were coming in to buy like their studded belts and shit that they'd wear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for my fellow millennials. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know how we do it. But now, yeah, yeah. These were, yeah, uh, they'd come in from the suburbs. There'd be no place to park at Belmont and Clark. They're going to the alley or some other place like that. They'd be like, Oh, there's a parking lot at the Dunkin' Donuts. Let's just park there, run into the alley. Dunkin' Donuts was on point on that. Nope. They booted cars all day, every day. I swear they probably made more money from booting cars than they did from selling donuts and coffee. Um, I feel like that's a rite of passage of going to some, <laughs> coming in from the suburbs, you yeah. know, like, and going to a show at the Metro or something, seeing the McDonald's right there and being like, that seems like a good bet. And then coming out to find it nowhere around yeah. and having to get that, uh, having to eat that $400 fee. Yeah. Oh. Um, here's the video store. The other video store, do you remember near Nationwide, Tyler? Um, a video store. It was a okay. A video video rental store that only rented sports videos. So it was like tapes of like NBA Finals or whatever. Um, but here's the thing: no one ever ever went in there, and their selection never changed. And it turned out that it was like a front. Ah. <laughs> like, uh, our friend Frank, friend of the show, Frank uh, Feel My Wrath McGrath, uh, um, uh, t- television editor galore. Um, uh, he, he filled me on the whole story a while ago about it. They, they got busted for like, um, that I guess they specialized in other kinds of videos that are not oh. necessarily legal oh. to have. And that was in the back. 
Um, but I remember uh, they had like a standee yeah. of Michael Jordan that was probably from the 93 Bulls and probably oh, yes. has been there since 93 because it was yes. so faded. And yeah, it's, yeah. And then you just like cast the standee to the side and there was like a switch or something that you just the wall would come probably, back. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I remember about Belmont and Clark. Uh this has been fun. I know we're not done yet, but it's it's nice to think about uh, about that that time in my life. So you moved out here in 2012. I did, yeah, yeah. And from what it sounds like, you were telling me that one, that something that really helped you make the transition from Chicago to Los Angeles. I feel like you're we, fishing for something. We're, we're, a, yeah. we're a couple of podcasts. One of them oh, God. being Battleship Pretension. <laughs> we helped you get, we helped you just get your life in order. You I know like what you think. are right now, Tyler. You're like, as we talked on the show before, the DVD for A Beautiful Mind. <laughs> if you buy the DVD for The Beautiful Mind. Now, obviously, the cover has, like, pull quotes and stuff. But then you open it up, and the DVD itself has, like, four, four stars, stars. And, like, all, all these things. Yeah. And I'm like, you've already, like, quit drilling. You've hit oil. Yeah. I've purchased the DVD. Yeah. I don't stop. And that's what you're doing right now. Everyone yeah. who is hearing this has already made the decision to listen to an hour and 11 minutes of Battleship Retention. What I am saying is that listeners... You too could someday be on the show if you're if you actually achieve something as our guest today has. But uh, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Look, it's always very humbling to meet a fan, <laughs> someone I mean, whose life I have changed. Uh, you're welcome, I guess, is what I'm saying. And it's always good to be reunited with a great school. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Oh wow, we're going even further back. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so 2012, and then. Uh, so you said you're in production. Like, did you jump into production immediately or is that? Uh, no, I, I started in Chicago. Um, I was a PA on Transformers 3, mm. um, as most of the city of Chicago yeah. was. <laughs> I feel like there's like a big chill-esque reunion <laughs> coming up pretty soon between like PA. Like we all had a, when I think there were about 150 of us yeah. hired on that show. And we were all given a bright yellow shirt and we were called Canaries. And we were basically hired to stand on street intersections while they were filming like a mile away because they were doing lots of aerial stuff. Wow. And while, and so we would just sit there all day, like groups of five of us and chat. And then eventually we'd hear, hear over the walkie, okay, it's time to come back. And then we'd come back. And that was wow. the extent of our the movie, time. When we were there, the movie that everyone worked on was Road to Perdition. No, oh, yeah. This is the big movie that shot in Chicago, like that's our right. probably junior year of, of college. Uh, yeah, that's about right. And then I think a lot of people, after I left, after we both, or both left, I guess a lot of people we knew from film school worked on The Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Contagion, too, is the other big one that came through town. Um, fun fact the hospital where Matt Damon receives the news that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has died is my, uh, is an Elgin. That was my oh. hospital that I would, I would go to since. Uh, a young age, so I, I knew. Actually, I tried to get on on that that film simply by using my knowledge of Sherman Sherman Hospital, the <laughs> hospital where it was being staged. So there was a production set up, and I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll try to maybe see if I can get a get on this. And I just went through the back entrance, uh-huh. and I just walked onto set, and I just like I saw someone who looked like you know uh, AD or someone. I just walked up to him and said, "Hello, um, uh, do you have any?" open positions and they're like who, who, what <laughs> and, and they they quickly ushered me away but um yeah it was it was a fun to infiltrate for a day that's awesome 
Yeah, I would have probably just hung out. Yeah. <laughs> try to get at least try to get some craft service. Um, yeah. That's a but. sad thing that you just said. Just, <laughs> just you know, I wasn't going to eat that day, so might as well try to steal some some food from Hollywood. Uh, I had a friend that I was a PA. I'm not going to say his name. Um, that was a PA with, and he would talk about like he had been a PA for so long that he felt so comfortable that if there were someone was shooting, if he was like in Hollywood or Chinatown, wherever, and he was like going past a set where people were shooting, he would just walk up to the craft service truck and like get lunch or whatever because he felt like. And he would just get away with it because no one... If you do it with confidence... Yeah. Um, that, that could be said for most things out here. <laughs> just as you said, as you did with the Young Kieslowski after party, yeah. as long as you know that you've got the RSVP invite maybe in your inbox, you're set. Yeah. It'll get you in. Or maybe that was pity. I can't, <laughs> I can't quite tell from the, yeah. the guard's point of view. It's yeah, always, definitely, always a possibility. It's been, uh, I love when... Uh, I'm not going to... Too in, uh, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on crashing uh, parties, but um, I've crashed multiple parties on studio lots when I've been there for screenings. It's something because I'm a guy who tends to wear like a sport coat. Right. And if I'm wearing a sport coat and confident, I can just walk just right Just unbutton in. like one or two. <laughs> yeah. And just yeah. Very, very Hollywood. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. Such a so, thing has never occurred to me to do. Yeah. It's, it's happened. Um, yeah, one time I think I I think I got caught, but I think the person didn't care because I like walked up to what I thought was the open bar, and it turned out you like when you went into this party, you were given like tokens for uh. a certain number of drinks, and I was like, oh, and then the one who was running was like, oh, you forgot to get your tokens, huh? And just handed me a bunch of. I think I think she knew exactly what I was doing, right. but she was like, there's more beer here than there are people. Yeah. That <laughs> let him have a beer. I think she was trying to put the moves on you. That's my that that's my thought. You just you just reminded me of a a story when I was still in Chicago and we were trying to get into the industry. One of the ways was um, nightmare on Elm street. The remake was filming in town as well in Elgin. And they were having auditions for extras at uh, this Chicago studio city or whatever that, that little area that they had. And we, we went and parked to audition. And as we're walking to the soundstage where these auditions were held, this PA with like a hamburger style, uh, you know, headset just peeks out of the stage and points at us and goes, are you here for the dog and pony show? <laughs> <laughs> and then he was about to usher us in. And, and there was a split second where I think my friend even started to say, yeah. But then <laughs> my, my more responsible friend who was with us said, no, we're here for the auditions. And he's like, oh. That, that building over there. But like it, once yeah. in a while, I will think about what <laughs> would have happened if we had said, yeah, of course. I think that's just like a life philosophy. If someone asks you if you're there for the yeah. dog and pony show, you say yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a lower stakes version of that line from Ghostbusters. If someone <laughs> asks you if you're a god or if you're going to the dog and pony show, <laughs> you just say yes. Yeah. So that's been my philosophy ever since. So how do you, uh, we should probably have an eye towards wrapping up, but do you like Los Angeles? Uh, I fall in and out of love with it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, it's, it's, I've quickly realized it's a city of people who are ready to go at any point of time. And they often do, (laughs) um, for work and just for permanent, you know, reasons. And I, I mean, I've done the same either for, for work or just to go back to Chicago or elsewhere. Um, I do like it. it. Once I've gotten the the hang of things and, you know, established uh, kind of a friend base here and uh, gotten to know the area, it's, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. So, uh, Oh, go ahead. I don't know if you had anything to well, say about g- Los Angeles. No, 
I was going to move into uh, I love it, movies that you love. It, it takes a while, I think. As I've said before, it's a movie. That, it's a movie, a city that's an acquired taste, but uh, I like it. I do think it's the city itself, and I, I know I've said it before on the show, is that I love it because of the tremendous opportunities that it has afforded me through the podcast and that kind of thing. The city itself is fine, but it's, I mean, Chicago is the best place I've ever lived, like, hands down. I know you're St. Louis, so you can't say that, but... Well, no, I'm Los Angeles <laughs> more than, more than mm. St. Louis at this point. I love, I love visiting. I love going home and visiting St. Louis. But, uh, yeah, Los Angeles is, is awesome. But then there's always that excursion out to like, you know, Chicago, back to Chicago, or um, like I I lived in Austin for a bit. And when you're down there and seeing that, you know, people your age have bought homes with actual yards and for half the price of what you're getting out here in a like a studio apartment. Yeah, I like I. uh, (laughs) So we we are in a, a house that we've only been living in. My wife and I have only been living in for about six weeks. And, um, you know, it was pricey, uh, but we got a good price on it. And then, uh, on Facebook, a friend said, Hey, I'm selling my house. And I don't know, I think it was in Kansas. I'm selling my house for this much. And it was a giant house that was a quarter of the price of this house. Uh-huh. And I was like, maybe I could just sell this place and buy a town in <laughs> Kansas because like, we could live, all three of us could live like kings in the Midwest, I feel like. Yeah. I have a friend out here who lives in a one-bedroom apartment out here. He owns two homes in Missouri and rents them. And that's like a huge oh. part of his income. And, and with that, he barely affords <laughs> his rent. <laughs> um, okay, you were going to ask about favorite movies. Yeah, or just uh, like... Um, you know, because you write about movies, you clearly uh, can occasionally feel passionately, at least negatively, uh, about movies. Um, so what are some, either some of your favorite movies, like movies that kind of have inspired you, or just films you've seen lately that you just really responded to? Mm. Positively or or negatively? I'm, uh, I, I like the idea of you being just filled with anger. It's a tempest of emotions. Films. Yes. Yeah. Um, recently... Uh, this summer, I, I haven't. I've, I've been on a production for the past couple of months, so it's been movie-going experiences have been kind of few and far between. But I saw it uh, recently, and I I enjoyed everything that wasn't a jump scare. But when seventy-five percent of the film is a jump scare, uh, it tends to diminish the experience. Yeah, it's there's a lot to love in that movie. Um, but I was telling David, uh, off mic actually, but, uh, that it's a film that feels oddly safe. Like when I, I expected going into the movie that when I left, I would feel jumpy for the rest of the day and a little bit paranoid. Um, the thing that I, that I have said in the past is that, uh, I think I might've said it last week that I have this little, uh, test where it's like, I know that if I were to look out the window right now, I'm, I'm not going to see Michael Myers staring at me. I know that objectively, but what if he was? And it's like, I know it's, it's an odd thing. Like that speaks to the, the, just the seed of dread that Halloween has planted in me. Mm. And I thought it would be like that for Pennywise with this new it movie. I saw it a week ago and it has not, 
stayed with me. The kids have stayed with me, yeah. but like the, the horror and the dread is not there really at all. Strangely me. enough, the ending of it has stayed with me the most. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, the tiny interactions I've between the, Oh, you haven't seen it. Okay. Um, the tiny micro interactions between the kids are what stays with you. And then yeah. it's maybe, and then like the little, uh, sideshow dancing that Pennywise does that. That's pr- I like that. That was yeah. pretty, it was creepy. I like when, I like when they went creepy and it's hard to be creepy when you're doing jump scares. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, so what would you say is, and it sounds like you actually haven't seen that many movies, that many movies lately, mm-hmm. but like, what would you say is your favorite movie or the best movie of 2017 so far? 2017. Uh, I mean, get out. Yeah. Obviously that, that was, that was February, right? Uh, yeah. 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 We're on there. That's, that's very high up on the list. Which I still yeah. haven't seen. I was waiting. I, I was waiting for my wife, and then it turns out she saw it two months ago. So it's like, <laughs> oh, okay. I guess I'll just watch it on my own then. Yeah. So, which I still haven't, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. Yeah, it just it it's so timely and so the way it the way it so deftly the, as we we're talking about with it. There there are instances in Get Out that don't. There are jump scares in it. But it is the, again, the interactions that are really deftly woven into just an, a deep seated terror. Just the, the mm-hmm. fact that you were, you, you know, saying it's not out there, but what if it was? Yeah. That question is in the minds of anybody who, who enters a situation with their girlfriend's parents and wonders what they're thinking. You no. know, they probably aren't thinking that, but what if they are? Yeah. Um, can I tell you a much more, uh, uh, I guess superficial thing that I love about get out. Sure. Cause I have a pet peeve in movies whenever someone is like being held against their will or her, you know, whatever, uh, has been kidnapped and they have a chance to get away. I hate when they, we were talking off mic about Berlin syndrome. She does this with the screwdriver. I hate when they wound their captor and try to get away. And then of course the person just comes after them. Mm-hmm. What I love about get out is when he realizes what's going on and he gets the chance, he fucking goes for the kill. <laughs> and I love that. So that was so like cathartic for me. That's what I always want movie characters to do. Yeah. I feel like it's been long enough. I know you haven't seen it. Right. And that's not a huge spoiler, but I can, I feel like I can celebrate that part of the movie. Now. We aren't spoiling what's being killed and by whom. So there we go. Right. Yeah. that's yeah. Uh, but is I, it a bear? <laughs> Does he kill a bear? It turns well, into the gray. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know that's not nearly as serious as the thing you were talking about. But I really <laughs> like that part of Get Out. Yeah. The 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 way I mean Jordan Peele. I mean they they in Key and Peele they would do that in every sketch find a find a way to subvert and completely know what you're talking about or what you're thinking with some sort of convention and then just cut to the chase of what you the opposite of what you thought they have a really uh deceptive way of 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 working that way and that's totally transported over to get out in a way that i i love um but yeah. I mean, all, all of that get out is one of the most, you know, highly it's, it's, it's the, the mark of why I love it so much is that still people are debating the, hmm. the merits and the, the, the symbolism of get out as opposed to it where you're like, it's a creepy clown. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Creepy. And that's, that's about the extent of it. Hmm. I'm wondering how a cosmic turtle plays into the rest of it. From what I hear, part two, they are actually going to incorporate that stuff into okay. uh, into it, which is like, 
it might not be scary, but that's kind of great. Good for you. <laughs> I have I haven't read the book okay. either. Uh, so we were talking outside of the the, the theater after we, we we saw it, and literally what any anybody could be just saying, yeah, and then a, uh, you know a blind moose comes up and starts speaking Swahili to them. I could totally believe that as a, as a legitimate plot point in it. I'm, the I thought they were kidding when the the turtle oh, entered yeah. into the the conversation but that's that's a, a legitimate thing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you don't expect to hear the word turtle cosmic people and turtle are, yeah, together. Ex- yeah. Um, unless it's like oh yeah the characters went on to form a band <laughs> called cosmic turtle but beyond that <laughs> so you don't expect it um, um well this has been a blast yeah me too yeah I've, I've, and super uh, deep and dark for the first half 45 minutes <laughs> yeah. or so well it's been almost 90 minutes now so the first half there you uh, go. was a blast and the second half was a blast it's all been fun absolutely likewise i've had a great time okay good thank you for for coming um uh, onto the show and uh um you at home you can find us at battleship pretension.com uh that's where you can find uh that's the the newly uh uh the newly redesigned at yes. this point yeah the um the old battleship pretension.com can't come to the phone right now. Um, anyway. Why? Why, David? Oh, because she's dead. Oh. Um, oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, what's so funny to me is I know Tyler doesn't know what I'm referencing. I don't know what you're referencing. That's, that's proof that you're not, like, not only not on film Twitter, but you're not, like, on Twitter or is any this, near, near the, new t- the Twitter that I am on every day, all day. David, is because, this a millennial thing? Uh, yeah. And okay. it's also, like, at this point, it's a meme that I'm a week and a half too late on, which okay. might as well be three years too late in meme terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, I'll look it up. Okay. And uh, I'm sure I'll have a good laugh. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, you can find us at battleship pretension.com. So you can find all sorts of movie reviews, including Tyler's review of, of it. And if you go back far enough, my review of the young Kieslowski and too late, um, <laughs> <laughs> you can email us at David at battleship pretension.com. That's where you'll send, uh, all your questions for our video mailbag segment, ask BP, which will get, right around to doing another one of those very soon someday uh, you can email tyler at tyler sorry you can email tyler at tyler at battleship you can follow me on twitter at davy pretension you can follow tyler on tyler pretension any quick updates uh from more than one lesson.com there's a few things one uh so last week i said that oh people could go and listen to us talk about the greatest show on earth turns out that file was corrupted and so i recorded a last minute it thing was on the last take? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, it's oddly actually say that because I, last week I, I recorded an episode in which, um, I recommend five movies for liberals, five movies for conservatives and five movies for both. Um, I was actually kind of excited about it. Uh-huh. Haven't had a lot of blowback yet, which means maybe it means I didn't hit hard enough yeah but uh but yeah so and then the greatest show on earth minisode is this week we, we had to re-record it but uh okay and then i will say so under the more than one lesson banner there are other podcasts and there's one called uh, thimble rigs arc uh and he talks about and nate the the host of it talks about the first christian sitcom hitting the brakes which is available on pure flicks and he uh, so he talks about that and is i think very magnanimous it can't be the first christian sitcom are you forgetting about soul man with dan Aykroyd? are you i am <laughs> How could I not? Um, oh, shoot. I'm sorry. And it occurred to me, uh, 
September 23rd, Alpha Omega Con in uh, Artesia, California, which is a Christian comics convention, but don't let that throw you. Uh, I have two panels there, one about the Alien series and one about the films of Tim Burton. So Fun stuff. just go for that. It's like 10 bucks. Okay. Okay. Charlie Schmidlin. Hey. Yes. There we go. Uh, where do people find you and your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, sh- at Schmidlinks uh, or on Instagram, if we uh, use that, at just sure. my name, Charlie Schmidlin. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 